The American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. Good evening, everybody. This is Dr. Alan Fine, the uh, podcast editor of the Annals of the American Thoracic Society. And we have uh, a superb clinical uh, topic and a uh, superb clinical uh, interviewee, Dr. Joanna uh, Pepke-Zaba, who's Director of Pulmonary Hypertension at the Papworth Hospital in the United Kingdom. And we're going to be dealing with the supplement that uh, was recently published in the annals on chronic thromboembolic pulmonary hypertension. And this is a somewhat confusing area to me and I'm sure to uh, many clinicians, and I uh, believe Joanna will help clear the fog in this area. So I wanted uh, to say hi to Joanna and thank her for uh, sharing her thoughts this evening. So uh, I'd like to just start simply by asking her how chronic thromboembolic pulmonary hypertension is defined clinically and pathologically. And uh, we'll start there. Joanna. Well, good evening uh, um, to you and to everybody. And thank you very much for uh, inviting me and arranging this uh, podcast. And I'll try my best. Let's start. So... The chronic thromboembolic pulmonary hypertension is uh, um, diagnosed by the mean artery pressure over or equal than 25 millimeters of mercury, um, but after three months of treatment with anticoagulation. And on the BQ test, it has to be at least one segmental mismatch defect. Obviously, that uh, can be also... um, diagnosed with the means of other imaging like CT with typical findings of vascular lesions. Vascular lesions are very typical and experienced radiologists can find them as obvious. However, as the disease is rare, the majority of radiologists might miss them quite easily. Therefore, the best test to confirm or exclude is the DQ scan, which has got a high sensitivity for this condition and for um, confirming mismatch defects. Yeah, let, let me ask you, since most uh, chronic thromboembolic pulmonary hypertension uh, is uh, discovered or diagnosed in patients who have no clear-cut evidence of uh, clinical pulmonary embolism, how do you practically make the diagnosis if it's not in a patient with a documented uh, embolus or multiple emboli? Well, that's a very good point. Um, about 50 to 75% of the patients will give the history of a past uh, pulmonary embolism or DVT, uh, even uh, several years uh, um, in the past. But there will be about this 25 or 50% who would not have any obvious uh, um, VTE event. We have to remember that um, in all the cases with the 
unclear etiology of uh, pulmonary hypertension, we have to perform VQ scan to be sure that uh, there is no uh, suspicion for the chronic thrombolic pulmonary hypertension. So the um, VQ scan is like a test which can um, confirm that we are not dealing with the chronic thrombolic pulmonary hypertension. However, if there are mismatched defects, uh, we should co- uh, proceed further with a diagnosis using other means of uh, imaging. Now, let me ask you, does it matter to separate uh, CTEF from other type, uh, from type 1 pulmonary hypertension? Uh, do you consider it okay, important? So- Yes, I think that is very important to understand that uh, CTEF is described as a two-compartmental disease, that uh, uh, the disease which affects uh, the um, conduit or elastic type of the arteries, those vessels often show uh, so-called vascular lesions, which are like a scar tissue left uh, behind after the previous uh, acute event. And the vascular lesions can uh, be seen on the uh, angiographic imaging as uh, webs, bands, or the amputation of the vessels. And this uh, usually affects the, as I said, uh, um, elastic type of the arteries or conduit and um, can be removed by the uh, means of the pulmonary endarterectomy. The second compartment of the disease affects uh, the small vessels, uh, which uh, uh, very often have got uh, the lesions very much, uh, or changes within the vascular wall, typical of uh, um, those seen in the pulmonary arterial hypertension. And this compartment is we believe is responsible for additional uh, increase in the pulmonary vascular resistance in uh, the patient with the chronic thrombobolic pulmonary hypertension. And uh, um, uh, some of those patients can be considered for their treatment with the medical therapies in contrast to those uh, being operated with pulmonary endotherectomy. So if I, I I'm follow, I I'm following you and this is you know I I agree with with what you're saying what what we want to do is separate out those who might be helped by a surgical approach from a drug treatment alone. Yes, so I think that it's an absolutely critical uh, issue and uh, uh, it's uh, the most important part of the management of patients with a CTEP. The reason for uh, how to distinguish is uh, um, twofold. One is that we have to uh, consider all the patients for the surgery, as this, in the majority of cases, offer the patient full uh, improvement, recovery, and return to the normal functioning. Uh, therefore, all the cases should be considered. However, uh, not everyone will be a um, suitable candidate for the surgery. So we've got a quite a, um, quite a diagnostic algorithm which we should follow to be sure that uh, we can offer everyone um, the um, such an opportunity of uh, being uh, cured. And, uh, uh, and this includes 
non-invasive and invasive tests. With the non-invasive tests, uh, we are assessing the functionality um, with the six-minute walk test, with the echocardiogram, um, distribution of the lesion, vascular lesions within the pulmonary circulation with the uh, imaging such as uh, uh, CT pulmonary angiography or uh, conventional pulmonary angiography and the hemodynamics are assessed by the means of right heart catheterization. The decisions about the suitability for the surgery should be made by the um, multidisciplinary team meeting with the radiologist, with uh, the clinician and surgeon. There is no obvious stratification for the pulmonary endotrectomy. It is true that it's a very uh, surgeon-dependent uh, um, classification for the surgery. Uh, however, the most important is the trying to assess uh, how much of the obstructions or the vessel uh, webs and bands uh, is responsible for the pulmonary vascular resistance seen uh, at the time of right heart catheterization. So um, if uh, there is uh, um, more than five segments, uh, and if, for example, um, five or six segments and uh, pulmonary vascular disease uh, resistance is around 900 dynes, that sort of patient uh, should be a um, very good candidate for pulmonary endotrectomy. The other uh, advice which we normally suggest is that if one surgeon is not uh, happy with progressing to the pulmonary endotrectomy, it might be wise to ask for a second opinion. And uh, it is uh, true that um, surgeons who are, have uh, more experience, who are um, uh, having the big volume of the cases, will more likely um, offer the surgery than uh, to the cases with, with a more borderline disease than the surgeons with uh, the less experience and low volume of the cases. So let me ask you, what is your preference? You always try to get patients to surgery if you believe they have CTEF, or are there patients who uh, you believe are best treated medically? That's absolutely everyone uh, should be considered for the surgery as long as the patient wishes to be considered. However, um, majority of patients, if they are appropriately informed, will consider operation if they are uh, functionally limited. So according to guidelines, European guidelines, uh, set up by European Society of Cardiology and uh, European Respiratory Society, all the patients with chronic thromboembolic pulmonary hypertension should be uh, referred for the consideration of uh, the operation with pulmonary endotherectomy. This is also important that uh, if the patient is not suitable for the surgery, then other options of uh, the uh, management can be open to the patient such as medical treatment. Now, what do you believe would contraindicate surgery if a patient had CTEF? Is, is there anything, there is or should a, every, everyone be there considered? Is a, 
It's a very good question, and the answer is poor lung function and poor function of the lung. So uh, we would not consider the, sur- the patient for the surgery if the patient would not be able to breathe whatsoever. So the patient with a, a significant chronic uh, obstructive pulmonary disease or with uh, the interstitial lung disease, we approach with a um, cautious to be absolutely sure that uh, we are offering the surgery to those who can truly benefit from. The heart conditions, such as uh, ischemic heart disease or the valves problems, can be addressed at the time of pulmonary endotherectomy. So the the valve and the ischemic heart disease is not uh, um, true contraindications but uh, poor systolic left ventricle function might be a problem. How how about age? Age is, in our um, opinion, uh, not a contraindication. However, the pulmonary endotherectomy originally has been offered to improve survival. If someone is elderly, we are offering it not for survival benefits, but for the quality of life improvement. And uh, there are a number of uh, people who are in the 80s and uh, who do not have other comorbid conditions, and uh, they have got a very poor quality of life because of the chronic thrombombolic pulmonary hypertension. And those patients we are considering for the surgery. And uh, their survival is the same. However, they stay within the hospital for a longer time and they um, required uh, more um, rehabilitation post-surgery. Now, let me ask you about medical therapy. When uh, do you use medical therapy in CTEF? And uh, we have in the United States uh, one drug, Riosaquat, that is approved specifically in uh, CTEF. Do you think it matters if we use that particular drug, or is there something unique other than the fact that it's been studied in CTEF that makes it a, a first choice? I think that uh, it's again a very good question. As uh, there were very few randomized clinical trial with uh, medical therapy in chronic thrombolytic pulmonary hypertension. There are quite a few open labels studied with uh, vasodilators uh, such as prostaglandins, uh, endothelial receptor antagonists, predominantly bosentan, and uh, riosigwat, which is a guanylase cyclase stimulator, soluble guanylase cyclase stimulator. There were only two randomized clinical trials for the patient with distal or non-operable disease. That was benefit and chest, and benefit was with bosentan, which was which is endothelial receptor antagonist. And that trial was showed that the patient are hemodynamically improving. It means the PVR is improving after treatment of four months with the drug. However, there was no improvement in uh, the primary endpoint, which was six-minute walking distance. Therefore, the drug was not uh, considered for licensing. Rio had very similar um, 
trial model and after the treatment of uh, three months, the patient has improved uh, the hemodynamics with a drop in PVR, but also there was a significant improvement in the six-month walking test. Therefore, the drug has been licensed and is recommended again as a treatment for the non-operable chronic thromboembolic pulmonary hypertension. And we recommend it as a drug based on evidence. The guidelines are leaving a little uh, open um, option that if, for whatever reason, the patient is not uh, tolerating uh, um or is not, well, in the country, this drug is not available, there is an option to offer other vasodilatory therapy based on the consensus and open-label results. So when a patient is identified, do we start medical therapy uh, pending surgical evaluation? And second part of this is after surgery, in your experience, do we need to continue medical therapy? Uh, both are very important points. Um, I think that number of patients uh, is considered uh, with the, the medical therapy prior to the surgery, and this is so-called bridging therapy. However, uh, there is, uh, again, um, the confusing data only from the open-label uh, studies and retrospective data analysis from San Diego experience shows that the bridging therapy before the operation is not offering any significant long-term benefit, very limited drop in pulmonary artery pressure, which does not translate into the better improvement after the operation. However, it has been noticed that those patients have been delaying the operation, and that is not what we would recommend. Therefore, the recommendation is if the patient is operable, that patient should be offered the operation as soon as it is possible without delay for the medical therapy. There are some clinical scenarios where uh, we consider the uh, medical therapy before when the patient has got really very poor uh, hemodynamics with the PVR very high, about uh, over 1,200 dynes, and the patient needs uh, some degree of stabilization. However, even those patients should not uh, be, if there is a surgical disease, the patient should be considered for the operation. The second question is about the uh, medical therapy after the operation. I assume that you are referring to the uh, patients who are left with degree of, of residual pulmonary hypertension. And I think that this is something which we have very carefully um, analyzed in our um, patient group. And we found that, that uh, this is not uh, necessary. We uh, in UK do not um, start the patient on the medical therapy as a routine, uh, as a result of the elevated pulmonary artery pressure. We measure the pressure three to six months after the operation, and 
if the patient is in function class two and even has got the pulmonary artery, mean pulmonary artery pressure above 30, we would not start the medical therapy. However, we would very carefully monitor the patient and if the patient will show some signs of deterioration, at that time, we would consider uh, the medical therapy, which would be uh, reosequent in current evidence. I guess my I'd like to finish up with uh, what can we expect uh, in terms of uh, the natural history of uh, CTEF? Is it now uh, a better outcome than uh, uh, than patients with uh, group one pulmonary hypertension? Uh, what should we expect in the surgically treated patients and in patients uh, treated only medically? Historically, CTEF has been considered as a very rare disease. Uh, however, um, recent numbers, uh, registries, uh, are co- uh, showing that uh, this is one of the most uh, commonly seen condition in the pulmonary hypertension centers. It is about 19% of the new referrals with chronic thromboembolic pulmonary hypertension in United Kingdom, according to the national audit. That means that practically we are talking about uh, um, incidents of uh, 5 per million inhabitants per year, and the prevalence is uh, up to 38 per million uh, inhabitants. So that is uh, likely that this type of pulmonary hypertension is uh, not the rare and is most likely the one single type of pulmonary hypertension which is uh, possible to cure. And uh, uh, the patients uh, these days with the advances with the surgery we believe that uh, the perioperative mortality uh, for the pulmonary endarterectomy in the big centers should be below 5%, and in the big volume of the centers is between 2 and uh, 3 4%. And so is now comparable with the complex cardiac surgeries. The... Um, Survival of operated patients is, long-term survival is excellent. It's a one-year survival is about 93%. Three-year survival uh, is 89% according to the International European Registry. That is different for the patients who are non-operated. And again, the numbers which I will provide will come from the same International Registry, European registry, and for one year, for non-operated, is 88%, and three years for non-operated is 70%, which is much worse compared to the surgical candidates. Those patients who are non-operated were quite heterogeneous group. However, hemodynamically, they were exactly the same as surgical patients with the same mean pulmonary artery pressure and the same cardiac output. So definitely um, the patients who can be considered for the surgery have got a much better long-term outcome than those who are treated with medical therapy. So it sounds like uh, we have uh, good reason to be optimistic, and I think you'd agree uh, good reason to try to identify 
these patients as a distinct group from other causes of pulmonary hypertension? It is true, uh, specifically that the field is quite dynamic. And uh, um, over the last few years, we are getting more experience and more information with uh, the third way of managing of those patients with balloon pulmonary angioplasty. And this is still uh, not uh, um, well uh, established uh, um, procedure. However, Japanese colleagues have been presenting for some years now exceptionally good results. And I think that uh, um, quite a number of the centers in Europe, and I think that United States as well, is uh, considering uh, those patients who are non-operable uh, for the uh, treatment with balloon angioplasty. Well, it even it even sounds like in the future, depending on what the results might be, the uh, uh, angioplasty might be uh, an equivalent alternative, as we have seen with uh, aortic and perhaps mitral valve in uh, patients since uh, at least what we see is a, a significant proportion of the patients are elderly with other medical illnesses. Well, I think that we have to wait uh, and see, but it is likely that uh, the percutaneous uh, therapy can uh, definitely expand further and offer uh, some um, alternative uh, treatments. We still believe that those patients who have got very proximal disease, very surgically amendable, should still be considered for the surgery. However, the sort of more um, gray area of the distribution of the disease probably might be more frequently considered for the percutaneous approach. So uh, let me ask you, uh, Joanna, is there any uh, final comments you'd like to make uh, on uh, CTEF, any uh, summary? I've been very impressed by uh, your commentary and particularly uh, the uh, broad range of therapeutic options we have for these patients. Well, um, I think that that's uh, um, the most important, that as we have got uh, therapeutic options, we should look for those patients and uh, um, consider every patient who uh, has got uh, no obvious uh, cause for pulmonary hypertension as a um, potential chronic thromboembolic and in the sort of view that we can offer the management uh, with option even of full return to normal functioning. This is only one type of pulmonary hypertension where we can achieve uh, full recovery. Therefore, we should do our best to look for those patients appropriately diagnose, uh, go through the diagnostic algorithm and uh, try to offer them uh, the treatment which uh, is best for the outcome. So uh, I'd like to uh, thank Dr. Uh, Pepke Zaba for sharing her uh, thoughts with us. She's the uh, senior author of the paper on medical therapy of chronic thromboembolic pulmonary hypertension published in the supplement to the Annals of the American Thoracic Society. So for the American Thoracic Society, this is Dr. Alan Fine wishing you a good night and good learning.